Have you ever been struggling with your confidence? Do you feel like if you'd be confident a little bit more in your life, in your personal life, relationships, or even in a business, it can massively help you? So you are a lucky person because today on this podcast, I have a person who does just that. Her name is Kat Williams. So welcome, Kat. Thank you. It's great to be here. Kat, can you tell us a little bit more about your background? What is it you do? And so people can get to know you a little bit more. So, and after we'll take it from there and we'll see where we'll head. Well, there's a lot of ways I could start with my journey, to be honest. But as you've mentioned, I do specialize in confidence. And really what that means is removing any um, limiting beliefs that people have about what they're capable of. So if I explain why it matters to me in a nutshell, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I was only 10 years old and I, um, it was a hot summer's day and I was with a group of children and I got on a bike and I actually got on the front of a bike. There was somebody else riding it. There was someone else standing on the back, holding onto the rider's shoulders. And I actually put my feet on the front wheel and held on behind me on the handlebars, which is, in, which is crazy. And in a nutshell, what happened was we ended up um, having quite a nasty accident that day. Mm-hmm. And so really, looking back, I'm, I'm a clinical hypnotherapist now, which is actually about going into the subconscious mind and recalling traumas or incidents that then play out in a subconscious way that we're not aware of. Mm-hmm. And what I learned about myself when I reflect on that is I was trying to belong. I was trying to fit in with this group of children. And I did something very reckless to kind of feel good enough. And what I ended up doing was obviously making myself more different because I lost two front teeth. I've got a scar here. I don't know if you're, you know, obviously, if you're just listening, you can't. But that influenced the rest of my life. And so it led to a fascination of like, what controls our thoughts and behavior? Where, how does our subconscious mind take over and do things that we might think like, where did that come from? And what did I do that for? And then what can be the repercussions of that? So I help people to really understand the these triggers is programming and reclaim their kind of natural confidence and control to get what they actually want and get out of their own way thank you very much for sharing we were very deep into that right away yeah well i just kind of thought let's just dive straight into the truth let's be candid (laughs) that's good that's amazing so can you you know because if somebody is listening you know and uh, obviously because you are in it so you know but for someone it's like you say like limiting belief like what 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 does it mean like for regular person is this a limiting belief what what he should imagine about, about that well what i want people to know is that a limiting belief is our subconscious mind that believes it's helping so it's actually called like a protector part and and what it's so it it doesn't realize it's limiting us it thinks it's keeping us safe Mm-hmm. But what it does is build like an invisible cage. So it's it's always trying to protect us from these three core, core issues, our subconscious mind, which is like not feeling good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, if we fail and don't feel good enough, it's like, oh, no, that would be awful. Or it's trying to protect us from feeling rejected or different because we're tribal in our DNA and you know, we want to belong. And then the third issue is it's trying to protect us from sort of going for what we want, but not getting it. And again, that kind of, you know, feeling a failure. So by a limiting belief, I mean things like it will come up with this protector part of maybe anxiety, maybe an inner critical voice, maybe something like imposter syndrome, you know, no matter what you do, somebody's going to come along and tell you you're failing or you shouldn't be doing it. And it believes that it's helping. But of course, as as you'll know, like that's not helping. That's Mm -hmm. actually getting in our way. 
Mm-hmm. self-limiting and other people call it like self-sabotage it's kind of like i know that it's me that's doing this but why am i doing it so how can someone recognize that they have this limiting belief let's say they are doing the regular things they are you know building their business for example and uh, how to how to recognize you know that there is some limiting belief inside of you what would you say yeah well that's a very good question because that it, that can take time to sort of realize that there's a pattern Mm-hmm. you know and it is about that level of self-awareness so the way i would put that is um if you could be free from something you know what would you choose to be free from mm-hmm. and that's where people might then go oh okay well actually i'd want to you know it's sort of what do you want and what do you feel is stopping you from going for that so mm-hmm. it could be um fear of public speaking you know they might realize yeah i've got these opportunities but i'm saying no and i keep saying no or I could be going for a promotion, but I'm but I'm not. There's I keep sort of, you know, saying no to opportunities that I'd like to say yes to, and, mm-hmm. and let's find out what that is. Or it could be something like procrastination, lack of organization, you sort of realize I never quite get. Do you have yourself at the moment any limiting belief? Or when you had the limiting belief in the past, you know, what was it and how did you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, we all have limited beliefs, I think. So, of course, I'm working on myself, literally practicing what I preach. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got a TEDx talk coming up. And even though I've given one before, I definitely have that kind of, oh, no, it's going to be embarrassing. I'll stand up there and it'll just rubbish will come out of my mouth. And I think it's great and it'll be awful. You know, of course I have that. Um, But I know enough to know that's not true. You know, Mm -hmm. so the fear, 99% of the time, false evidence appearing real, this voice, it isn't true. It's the protective strategy that, you know, thinks it's helping. Mm -hmm. And to answer the second part, the reason I care so much about what I do, I mean, I've mentioned that that, that bike accident, but another um, truth is that I've overcome a fear of public speaking Mm -hmm. um, because it is the number one fear in Western societies, you know, and that is about, it's not a fear of public speaking, it's a fear of rejection which again, we're wired to belong. So if we stand up and stand out, our minds going, are you crazy? Like you could be, you know, an outcast. That would feel awful. So my fear of public speaking came from, I was uh, 15 and the school I was in said, who would like to apply to be head boy or head girl? So I went up to my form tutor in my, you know, sort of class, my form class. And I said, oh, I think I'd like to apply for head girl. And my teacher, Mrs. Emmett, said, um, mm, I don't think they're really looking for, you know, so I don't think you've got the confidence, um, Catherine, I was called then. You know, I, I don't think they're looking for, you'll have, you'd have to give speeches in church at Christmas. You'd have to speak in assembly in front of the whole school. I think they're looking for more someone like Caroline, someone like that and not you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a teacher that I'd known since I was 11 for five years tells you that you don't have what it takes. You believe them because that's a person in authority saying you don't know. So that was a real fear of public speaking. I'm like, oh, I don't have what it takes because she's just told me I don't. So I had to overcome that. And part of of the stories that I tell as a speaker now, and one of my favourite things to do actually, is to help people find their voice because I've overcome it. So if I can, they can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It's a great point what you mentioned about the teacher tells you that uh, like you mentioned it's authority so when we believe in someone as a as an authority it could be parent teacher someone and it very often goes to the childhood like this what you are dealing with people right getting them to the hypnosis state so they can find the the trigger and uh, i think we all experience something similar like i have the same with singing like 
they would say like you know you don't sing you know you your sound is not good enough for singing and it means that I would never pursue it because obviously I believe that uh, what the teacher said because teacher knows more and um, so it's really good that you are saying that because obviously whoever you know listens that so they can have something similar going on in their head and it doesn't need to be true at all you know they can overcome it so if somebody would have some limiting belief let's say you know they know they there is a limiting belief they they've done the exercise let's say you know i want to live this kind of a life but i don't because this is stopping me so they identify it so what will be the next step what you could tell them like what to do with that well obviously they, if they came one-to-one that would be a one-to-one session which i understand not everyone listening to this would be able to do but if i explain the process of it then i think anyone can gain from it mm-hmm. so the way i would put this is you've you've identified you know whatever the issue is so that could be a fear of public speaking um imposter syndrome procrastination and inner critic might be a common one this sort of voice that says you know you're stupid you're going to fail you're not good enough maybe use that as an example what i would say to that is nobody arrives on the planet with whatever this thing is that you want to be free from mm. um so if so the first thing i would do in a session is actually under hypnosis we'd go to to when the problem wasn't there and sometimes that's going right back to like picture yourself as a little baby or that or a first memory as young as possible when you realize oh yeah i arrived on the planet completely free completely 10 out of 10 confident there's no baby that looks at the world and goes oh i haven't got what it takes you know i'm not good enough we all look out and go here i am and then coupled with that what i help people to see i will have done a strength psychology kind of assessment before the session or i or i do this in groups you know i get everyone to find their strengths and this is a British Psychological Society, like accredited test thing. But what it does is only one in four and a half million people have your top seven strengths in a certain order. And it's strength scope, the test I use, but there are many. But again, what that lodges in is this fact that everyone arrives with all, all that they need within them. We're all equal, but we're all different. Mm-hmm. And so we all have whatever we need within us already. And then once you acknowledge the truth of that, we then go to the kind of part of the session when I will use regression to discover what significant people or events, what's the root cause that then created the protector part. So say that's an inner critic. We would go to the regression of like, when was the first time or most significant time that you felt not good enough, different, rejected, not important, something I don't care about? And then that would have created this inner critic that believes it's then helping you not to get in those situations again. So it's saying, oh, you know, don't be an idiot and and do that. Don't expose yourself. Don't go for something because somebody's going to criticize you and it's not worth it. You know, if it keeps happening, it's going to destroy you. Mm -hmm. Is this like making sense? So and then we would go to the part of the session. And I do talk about this in groups, but I understand that it's a little bit hard to understand on a conscious level. But people feel it in their body. You know, if I asked you now, feel where fear is and or, or feel when you're criticized and judged, like where does that hit you? Mm. You would be able to feel where it was. You'd be like, oh yeah, I can feel it. <laughs> you know, I can feel fear. I can feel shame. I can mm. feel embarrassment. I can feel where that is. And then into hypnosis, I'd ask people to kind of, what does it look like? Like how big is it? Because once we identify it, We can then kind of give it a voice and I literally get people to express like I'm this part of Vincent, for example, I've came into Vincent's life when he was whatever, you know, and you'll be aware of that. 
my role in his life is to, and then I get them to finish that sentence. And it's always trying to protect. I'm trying to protect Vincent from feeling like he felt when he was six. So I've been doing this for him since I was six, and I'm going to keep on doing this until something replaces it. And I can say a bit more about that in a minute, but I'm aware that I'm saying a lot. No, 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 it's good. It's really good. It seems like, obviously, you can talk and talk a lot about this particular thing and problem of the limiting belief. And uh, more and more I listen to it is if I, you know, realize that if there are some people, they are, you know, having that issue and they don't know how to overcome it and they tried a few things. And I know it, for example, I hail, I know from my coaching, I know it helps like when somebody wants to make money in property or business. I know it's a much quicker way. So if there is anybody who is struggling with that confidence, you know, I'm sure I'll put a link to you if somebody wants to speak to you for, you know, half an hour, an hour, I don't know what you do for sessions to, you know, just to find out what the problem is because obviously it's not just that easy to deal with that <laughs> just over the YouTube, right? Um, so yeah. And uh, also you mentioned that you are going to speak on a TEDx. When, when is that happening? That's on the 13th of February, it's being recorded. So it'll be out on YouTube, I don't know, it takes about eight weeks, I think, after that. Okay, okay. And is it a specific location in here in the UK, is it? Or? It's Chester University are running the event. They do it every year, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the topic, what you'll be doing, is it the one what you are sharing here or is it something different? A little bit. So for those that can see, I've got a picture here of a stallion uh -huh. and the TEDx is called Your Mind is a Stallion, Learn to Ride It. And so it's really kind of partly what I've already been saying about the power of the subconscious mind, because I liken it to a stallion because we have 70,000 thoughts a day, 95% of them are subconscious, like in our animal mind. So if we don't sort of ride the stallion of our subconscious mind, it takes over and it rides us. So that's that analogy. And people really understand that, you know, even if they don't know anything about sort of mindset or subconscious mind, they kind of go, oh, yeah, you know, they do know what I mean when I say if you saw a horse that's out of control and then a different rider gets on the same horse, it can be like a completely different animal yeah. seconds later. And they're like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I said, that's what I do. Yeah. I will get, you know, you'll ride your own mind and get the most out of it because there's so much untapped potential you know, this mind of ours is like the most complex structure in the universe and we don't even really understand yet its full potential. So that's why I liken it to a kind of a stallion. Would you really want to just leave that in the stable, you know, not doing very much? Or do you want to really, you know, find out what's possible in this, in this amazing mind that we don't even really understand? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. I think it'll be great terminology that you, when you take something what you know, in your words, for a lot of people it's unknown, and you can compare it to something which they know, like a, a horse, like stallion, right? So yeah. it's definitely people can relate to that. Like they see the picture, like you mentioned about, like going on that horse and somebody's in control. Yeah, it's amazing. And I know that you mentioned that you had some problems in the past with the confidence and. But is there anything else would let you to, you know, overcome this fear of public speaking and start sharing, you know, what you know with others? Is there any other steps what you had to take in the past? Yeah, again, one of my biggest ones actually led to um, when I wrote, wrote a book, um, which was about 12 years ago. And so I'd my journey into understanding this, as I've mentioned, um, my kind of accident as a child, but my first profession actually went into physiotherapy which is about physical resilience, you know, and overcoming injuries or illness. Mm -hmm. But what I realized quite quickly is that the mind, um, the mindset of that, you could have 
people with the same injury. I would have a ward of people with very similar injuries, but how their mind was working would determine how fast they got better more than what was wrong with their body. But then the truth is, so I'd um, been a therapist for a few years. I, my husband's in the British military. Um, so I qualified through a relationship therapy charity called Relate originally and was interested in relationship therapy because we'd been moving around um, and it was supporting the military couples. But then there was a moment my husband was out on the front line and I realised that no matter all of my training, what I thought I knew, Almost I was like, I had the moment personally when I was completely afraid, you know, I knew that any moment of the day or night, basically for the next seven months, I could be told that he's not coming home Mm -hmm. or he's coming home physically or psychologically different. And that was kind of what prompted me to go, how do people deal with this? Like, and I was looking, I don't know if you can see behind me, actually, I think you can keep calm and carry on poster. That was the inspiration behind the book that sort of it led to which was me really asking, what's the difference between, I had people around me, some people kind of thriving somehow through this stressful situation as the world can throw all sorts of things at us, can't it? Whereas other people kind of self-medicating and had literally taken themselves kind of to bed for seven months and were trying to just zone out and Mm self-medicate. So what that led to was, I was trying to answer the question for myself, um, how can I stay calm and content is what the book's called, no matter what life throws at you. So it's real life stories of of my clients and fellow military partners. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, that was a real moment when, which really sparked even more of an interest in this subject. When you're feeling really, really afraid um, and you feel like you've lost yourself, what do you do then? And uh, would you mind to share us with us maybe one or two things what you describe in that book? So, uh, which, you know, helped you to stay calm in those situations? What I realized it was really about is um, how we feel about ourselves. So in a nutshell, it's this self-esteem. It was this awareness that it was triggering previous feelings of not feeling good enough or feeling like, you know, like you didn't have what it takes. And so that was what it was really about. So whatever might be facing us in the moment, it's kind of understanding this isn't the first time I felt like this. So that's the first thing I realized. And then I found lots of, you know, I love an inspirational quote. So things then sort of came through to me and I realized something, I think Eleanor Roosevelt says, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And that could be the same as no one and nothing. So then I kind of realized I am in control of this situation in terms of how I choose to view myself Mm -hmm. and my ability to cope with this. It doesn't get to tell me that I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of one of the things. And then another quote that, that came through that as a favorite of mine is there is nothing either good or bad but thinking makes it so and that's Shakespeare from Hamlet so again I was like oh yes you know one person's worst nightmare is another person's dream come true so the situation is neutral but the words and the language you're using to describe it make determines how you feel how you behave and then reconfirms how you think so that was this awareness of like basically your thoughts determine your feelings, which determine how you behave, which then reconfirm your thoughts. So if you're saying, I'm not good enough and I can't do this, it's going to become self-fulfilling. And that really reminds me, when I had my first coach, uh, he was saying something similar. He was saying like, nothing in life has any meaning, only the meaning you give it. And um, it's really what you mentioned in these two quotes, it's a similar thing, right? And 
I know that uh, someone was sharing the situation. It's just an example that there is a <clears throat> there are two people they interviewed and they one they ask like, okay, you are very successful and you know you are rich and you have a great life and things like that. Why is that that you are so good? And uh, and they they met another person and uh, he is uh, an alcoholic. He's drunk and he's homeless. And they ask him the same question, and um, and they both have the same answer because my father was an alcoholic. So. They have uh, two same people uh, that one takes this to the life like, okay, if he was like that, I'll be like that as well. And the other one, I'll be exactly the opposite. That's thank you very much for sharing that what you mentioned in that book. So obviously if somebody would want to get the book, where they can get the book. So if they can read it, is it on Amazon or you have some special link where people can go and get it? Yes, it's on Amazon. Stay calm and content. Yeah, no matter what life throws at you. And it's on my website um, as well. Okay. Okay. Amazing. So we can include that as well. And so for now, so obviously you had some issues, you overcome them. You've been in the military wife. You've been working as a, you know, relationship kind of coach or therapist, right? Uh, helping people and um, you really helped yourself as well. After you had to overcome the fear of public speaking. So how do you overcome that fear? Yeah. Well, what I realized with that, there was a moment when, um, one of the stories I, I tell, actually, I, I had an opportunity to go on a gap year to Africa. Mm -hmm. And so I took myself um, down to this interview, which was quite a long way, age 17. But I'd been, it had kind of been fueled by my parents as well. They sort of said, oh, I don't think you'll get it. You know, everyone will be, they'll be from private schools and they'll be more confident. And it's, you know, but go for the interview anyway. And it's a true story, I was waiting at this bus stop for the last bus. I'd had to do trains and all sorts all the way down quite a long way back then, in like whatever it was, 90s. Um, and I'd had this presentation that I was going to present because I knew we had to, it was to teach, you see, in, in Kenya. So they were kind of interviewing us, can we teach a classroom? And I'd um, wanted to teach music. I'd even researched some of the schools and they wanted a music teacher because I play um, the trumpet and the cornet and the flute so I'd have donated recorders anyway and I happened to show this lady at the bus stop this presentation but I was quite nervous and I said oh I'm not I'm probably not going to do very well so she said oh let me have a look and it was all about African animals and mountains and everything and then she sort of said to me she said do you mind if I say something and I was going no you know sure what whatever and she said you've just told me you know far more about why this matters to you in the five minutes we've stood at the bus stop than this presentation doesn't tell me anything like you've just told me that you've already got recorders donated and you really want to teach music I told her as well how much I'd loved Africa since I was 10 because I read a book called African Adventure and she mm -hmm. said and you've said that you don't think you've got the confidence and yet you're probably the only child that's come as far as you on their own. I bet your parents are right. Everyone else has been driven by their parents and they were right. Everyone else's parents were in the waiting room. They all had their fancy. So what she said to me was, why don't you just tell them, tell them what you've told me at the bus stop? And that's now my story about we don't tell our stories enough. We kind of, when we get up to public speak, it's sad when you see a kind of, the way I put it, it's like a grey scale version of somebody presenting rather than the whole multicolour version. So as I say in my story, I didn't really know that I had a fear of public speaking as such at 17. But what I did know is I didn't have anything to lose. And so I did what that lady said. I kind of didn't do the presentation about Africa. I 
I told them the truth and I feel emotional saying it because I was, I, I got out there. And mm-hmm. so that's my message. Like if people don't know how much you care, they're not going to care, you know, what you know, really. And so tell them how much you care. And that's what people want to hear. Would you think that <clears throat> when there are some some people doing the public speaking and, um, you know, when you mentioned about the story, you shared your story, is it some people like when they are like, it's kind of, it's okay, but, you know, there is not the connection. Do you think it's a lot to do that people, they don't want to be vulnerable in front of others? I think there is a lot of that, absolutely. But if if you're interested in this and anyone listening, you know, there's a lot of research these days going into how effective stories are and it can feel vulnerable yes and unfamiliar to take that approach mm-hmm. um, but I think it's becoming more common because we do know again going back generations the only knowledge we used to have would have been passed through stories so we're we're wired to connect with And again, famous quote from Maya Angelou, I think people forget what you say, they forget what you do, they'll never forget how you make them feel. Yeah. And the best way to do that is to connect on a heart level and to help you feel the emotion, they feel the emotion. Mm-hmm. And as you're telling your story, they're telling their story in their own mind of when they felt like that. And that means you've got them then. They're kind of, oh, you know, yes, I get it. Now I'm going to listen the other information that you're there to give when they know why you care and why you're standing there then you've got their attention absolutely i definitely agree <laughs> it's uh yeah the stories are super powerful and um, as we both are <coughs> i don't know how long actually are you uh, the psa member because i'm i'm new to it like from last year just for the whoever didn't listen psa is a professional speaking association uh in here in the uk and also worldwide And we spoke about it a lot, actually, or quite a lot about in the last interview with Chantel Cornelius. So if somebody would like to know more about that, you go and check the last video. So we don't need to repeat everything. But how long are you already a member? Not very long, actually. I think my first meeting was maybe October or November 2023. Oh. Yep. So very new. <laughs> But really loving it already. <laughs> so we are both new. So how how are you finding it like regarding like the community and um, what the benefits that it has? It's really good to be in a in a room of people energized in the same way, you know, to to speak up and to to share what they um their expertise or their stories. So yeah, I love being in that environment, definitely, to be in that speaking community. I think once you're in that community, I can't see myself ever leaving. <laughs> so And um can I ask you uh what is it like your vision for the future, like with you know your um business or when you are helping people to overcome this confidence and limiting beliefs so what is your like do you have any bigger vision like for the next i don't know year two five ten like what is it you would like to do and where is it you would like to take that uh, business or yourself or uh, the people yeah it's exciting isn't it i i see myself being paid to speak internationally would be great mm-hmm. get on a plane turn left okay. <laughs> and fly across yeah. the atlantic or something like that um Because again, if I'm really honest with you, I I know this drive to perform has been there a long time. And so I want to get even better at inspiring, you know, a large audience um, with the stories, with the energy that I bring. Because I think certainly I'm sure you'll agree with me that certain speakers that all of us will have seen, you never forget. There's mm-hmm. something about that moment or that image or something they said that really does lodge in. 
Mm. And it matters to me to try to um, be that person, um, Mm. to make a difference in some way, in that way. So I describe myself as kind of bookends, which maybe doesn't sound the best, but I really care about big audiences, kind of being that inspirational speaker, saying something in just 45 minutes that someone never forgets. And then the other side of that, I will always be... The way the reason I can do that, I believe, is because it's rooted in the one-to-one work that I do that has yeah. been deeply personal over decades now with hundreds of people to hear the very, very vulnerable parts of us and to have a deep understanding of, of how people, you know, what people are have dealt with, the traumas that they have held on to and how they've overcome. So mm-hmm. I will always do both. Um, and I would never want not to work with individuals and couples, as, as I've mentioned, in all ages, but I also want to make a difference one-to-many at the same time as making a difference one-to-one. Absolutely. It can impact more people the, from the stage, that's that's for sure. That's why we all do it. And um, do you have that any like a um, specific goal? Uh, for example, I don't know, that you want to speak in front of that many people in, I don't know, this many years coming, or is there anything like that? Like you have like this vision, like, okay, I want to have audience of that many people, or during the year I want to impact that many people. Is there something like that, which is like driving you to, you know, to get those um, gigs booked and, you know, go and speak? Honestly, I don't think so. I actually put a post up this week about um, the difference between goals and intentions. So a goal could be, yes, something quite specific like that. But for me, um, the in- if I have the intention right, so my intention is basically never to retire um, because I abs- and to always just love what I do and to sort of stand in my light as I put it and just be me and share as best I can and make a difference as best I can. And if I do that, the goal will take care of itself mm-hmm. because those audiences, you know, I will build towards that. So that's just how I feel about it, that I want to go with that flow I said, just love what I do, do it well um, and see where that takes me because... I never. I always want to do this for as long as I can. So it isn't about reaching a particular goal. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much for sharing that as well. <clears throat> Some people they set the goals and they know where they are heading. Some people, like you mentioned, they go with the with the feeling and they know that it's going to be right. And you know, with the right people around yourself, with the you know right things to do, so you you'll get that as well. And also. No, just a couple of last questions before we wrap it up. Is there anything you do for yourself? Let's say you'll go and you'll speak uh, for those events, but is there anything you need to do to be a better speaker? I don't know, any practice, something you would you, would you do, I don't know, daily basis, monthly basis, uh, which if there's somebody watching and is like, yeah, I want to be speaker, I really like what Kat said, I would like to try it, but I don't know where to start. Is there anything would you do? I do work on crafting the stories Mm -hmm. so I do certainly keep like a story bank of kind of because you're right I think what you were saying a few questions ago in a way you know what story would would you tell and kind of would it be would there be any point and what if it doesn't match the message and maybe you're just being vulnerable for no reason so Mm -hmm. I do very much think about that if if there's a story I'm always thinking what message is in that story and why would I tell it and if I was going to tell it for different audiences, because um, I'm I speak to very different ages sometimes. So I'll speak in schools to you know six, an audience of sixteen year old girls that I have in a few weeks. That story will need to be 
tailored differently to land differently mm-hmm. and maybe completely different stories so yeah I do put quite a lot of effort into and then refining it because you don't want to be standing there waffling for 10 minutes about details that are not relevant yeah. it's kind of it needs to be short relevant deliver the message and to have those feels in it if people aren't feeling something they're not with you and that's actually about bringing in acting skills so what I've done recently is work a bit more on acting skills because when you relive the story don't just retell it It, you take people into it with you so I love kind of crafting all of that yeah yeah amazing storytelling is important you mentioned you have a story bank or story library amazing (laughs) it's awesome and so lastly, if, I don't know, there are some people watching and they, you know, they are on a different parts of their life. You know, some people, they are working, they want to start their own business. Some people, they are already a little bit in it. Some people, they may have some limiting beliefs, you know, take it to the next level. Would there be one or two things, like a tip where you can share those people, like very important things, like let's say that you'd go back, I don't know, 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, and you would see yourself and you'd say like, no, if I would do that, or if I knew this thing back then, that would really, you know, be really helpful in that moment. So is there anything like that you'd love to share as a tip? I think it's it's not always easy to know ourselves, but I think it sounds maybe a bit, a bit not specific enough, but I think for me, it's a bit like you're saying there, it's about trust. It's kind of about, you do know yourself better than anyone else. But if if you've not been taught to kind of trust your instincts and trust what matters to you. So what I've learned most actually recently, only in the last year or so, is about this awareness of kind of that gut feeling. You know, people talk about, listen to your gut and but I'm doing that more and more. And I think if all of us went back and kind of went, I, that was right. How did I know that was right? But I was right, you know? And so I think that's what I would say, you know, and the more you can sit sort of quietly with yourself and trust yourself, the more the path is going to be broad and open because it's other people dragging you off it that is gonna delay you. <laughs> Whereas there's actually a deep sense of knowing and one of my favorite things when I work with with children or with adults that are going back, you know, under hypnosis is they go, I knew, you know, I was right. I've known this, but mm-hmm. nobody listened to me or I didn't even listen to myself. And I'm kind of right. And that's when they go, right, none of that anymore. I'm going to go with my gut feeling. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would say. Trust yourself, listen, and then and you will know. Yeah, it's, it's really powerful and uh, <clears throat> I definitely agree with you on that point because I've been in this situation a uh, few times and I'll just give you one uh, example. I had this client, he wanted to join my coaching and I'm like, yes, sure, we had a call and the first few calls it was good but after he was more and more questioned, I'm like, I was feeling like it's not the right client, like I felt it like, you know, it's not going to work. But the thing is, I didn't listen to my gut feeling and I signed him up anyway and I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I'll make it work. But of course, after five, six sessions, he gave up because he wasn't the right person for, the, for the, what I'm helping people with. But I knew it inside, but because I didn't decide it by my trust, by my gut feeling, I decided with my logic. So, you know, at the end, it ended up the same way. So, yeah, I definitely agree, you know, trust yourself and use the gut feeling, whatever it is, because <laughs> I have no idea what it is, but sometimes we feel it, yeah? Yeah. 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 
Okay. Amazing, Kat. So thank you very much again for being here today. And I really took a lot from that. And I'm sure that my audience will too. And uh, I'm sure we'll do it again sometime. And also I'll meet you on one of the Professional Speaking Association networking events. And uh, yeah, thank you very much again. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.